Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you guys are coming back to the show, then welcome back. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And if you are brand new, thank you guys for clicking on this episode. And uh, we hope that you enjoy this episode as well. And if you do, make sure to check out the rest of our episodes. Um, make sure to follow us on all of our socials at PreventPod and get signed up for that mailing list so that you know kind of what's going on, kind of help us spread the word of prevention. Today's episode is something I've been looking forward to for about a year. The skin is one of like the largest organs, if not the largest. I think it is the largest. Um, so is you how much I know about the skin, which is why we have today's guest on. But uh, we've been trying to get this on for quite some time. And today that is finally here. So um, first, let's get into this intro and then we'll get straight into it. Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now, here's your host, Raghav Sharma. Welcome back, everyone. Um, yeah, like I said, today we're talking about the skin, and today's guest we have with us with is, is uh, Dr. Zain Hussein, who is board certified in dermatology, doing a fellowship in Mohs surgery and cosmetic derm. Um, he's the founder and owner of New Jersey Dermatology and Aesthetic Center. He's also heavily involved in medical education, kind of teaching residents a little bit more about that stuff. And uh, he also likes educating through social media. So his all of his social media and all the links will be in the description. So go check him out. But welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Raga. Definitely. So the first question is um, kind of, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the business that you own and kind of what brought you to dermatology? Sure. Um, so I am a board certified dermatologist. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey, um, where I currently practice. Um, so just a little bit about my education. So I had done a combined uh, seven year BSMD program uh, from high school, um, so college and med school uh, at Rutgers, New Jersey Med. And then I went to uh, Georgetown for dermatology residency. Um, and then I did a fellowship in Mohs surgery and reconstruction, as well as cosmetic dermatology at Montefiore Albert Einstein. Um, and then I went to private practice for about two years while my wife, um, who's a pediatrician, was finishing up her residency at Georgetown. Um, and then we had our first child uh, during uh, her last year of residency. And then after that, we decided to move closer to home. So moved uh, back to Jersey where my folks are from, um, just to kind of get a little bit more support um, while taking care of the baby. Um, both my wife and I decided to start our own practices um, at that time. So, um, you know, she kind of started her own pediatrics concierge practice. Um, I started my own full service dermatology practice. Um, pretty much from scratch. So, um, you know, we built it, um, you know, starting off with patients, you know, just two or three patients the first day, and we've kind of built a really successful practice in the past two years. So, um, you know, obviously COVID was a little hiccup um, with uh, the practice, but, you know, we've done well since reopening and, you know, we've been growing ever since. So, you know, um, in addition to my practice, you know, like you had mentioned, I like um, getting involved with medical education. So, you know, I like teaching the dermatologist residents at Rutgers, um, as well as other institutions to kind of help refine their skills, especially in skin cancer surgery and cosmetics. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Definitely. It sounds like both you and your wife are extremely driven. Um, and it seems like you have been that way for a while because I know um, a couple of my friends also did a combined uh, BSMD program. And they were always like very driven, very smart, very like they know what they want. Did you know you wanted to do dermatology when you were kind of starting that program? Or is that something that kind of fell upon as you're doing rotations? Not at all. So, um, you know, I was first considering <clears throat> orthopedic surgery. Um, and I had done research between my first and second year of med school. Um, and then I did my uh, rotation in, during my third year of med school, and I did not like it at all. Mm. Um, but I still liked um, a surgical field, so I considered plastic surgery at that point, um, which was really cool. Um, I really liked it a lot. But then, um, you know, I got exposure to Mohs surgery, like where some of the plastic surgeons were doing some of the Mohs reconstructions, and then that kind of piqued my interest. So I did um, a rotation in uh, dermatology um, early on in my first 
fourth year. So that was really late. Um, but I absolutely loved it. I had a good combination of medicine, um, surgery, cosmetics. We got to see all ages. Um, There's a lot of variety, a lot of cool technology associated with it. So, you know, I, you know, met with my chairman and, you know, we decided that, hey, you know, I'm going to go for it. Um, you know, I just worked, uh, did research um, and tried to get involved with the department. And then I applied and luckily I matched that that year, that cycle, and which is, you know, very difficult because dermatology mm-hmm. is extremely competitive. So I was just really happy to match in my dream field and I've been happy ever since. Well, definitely. And uh, it also sounds like you have a lot on your hands because you have a new family yeah. with uh, young children. You have a wife, both of you who are business owners, which I did not know your wife was a business owner as well. I've been yeah. kind of keeping up with your business on Instagram now. So that's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we have a three and a half year old daughter and then we just had another daughter about four months ago. So wow, definitely are, we're busy. Um, and then obviously my wife too, she's, um, she's got a really cool model for her concierge pediatric practice. She does like house calls. Um, wow. she does a lot of, um, you know, work with the media as well. So she works with a lot of companies and yeah. she's also an AAP uh, spokesperson. So she's in the media a lot too, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is really cool. So let's get into it. So when we think of preventive medicine, typically what we've had on this podcast, and I guess what most people think of it is diet, nutrition, maybe some sleep thrown in there, um, all of those kinds of things. But people don't typically think of the skin, although it is something we definitely should be thinking of. So I guess in lieu of that, what does preventive medicine mean to you? So in the dermatology space, I mean, I think with preventive medicine, I think you can't escape like not talking about skin cancer because that is the number one uh, preventive medicine, um, you know, point that we talk about because we know the biology of how we develop skin cancer is largely driven by UV radiation from the sun. We know the mechanisms, we know the pathways, and you know there are a lot of effective preventive measures that we can take that are pretty easy. Yet a lot of the population doesn't really heed. Um, So, you know, as dermatologists, um, you know, especially as a skin cancer reconstructive surgeon, you know, I see both ends, right? So I'm diagnosing skin cancers, but I'm also treating them. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as a doctor, we always, you know, as doctors, we want to prevent um, disease. And when we're able to educate our patients, um, you know, about certain lifestyle changes, simple lifestyle changes that they can make so that they are not dealing with the consequences later on, um, that is very important, in my opinion. That's, I think, one of the primary, um, you know, advocacy points that we do as dermatologists. So, you know, when we're talking to our younger patients, um, you know, who really don't see the long-term, you know, side effects from like say tanning or from Mm -hmm. going to the beach, not wearing sunscreen, getting sunburned. Um, You know, it's, it's hard for them to kind of conceptualize and understand that later on these cumulative effects will catch up to them and, you know, they can manifest, you know, as skin cancer and other um, unwanted changes as well, like photo aging, like, and other cosmetic concerns as well that pop up. So that's kind of one of the things that as a dermatologist, um, I really want to kind of focus on with my patients with education, because, you know, a lot of this can be prevented. And, you know, like the skin cancer epidemic that we have here can be stalled if we just took those uh, few measures in place. Definitely. So diving right into that, kind of the first part of this is going to be on skin cancer, because that is the largest preventable thing when it comes to the skin aspect. But you mentioned there's some certain lifestyle things like sunscreen. What can people do to decrease their risk for various skin cancers? Absolutely. So there are a number of measures you can take. So sunscreen is probably the most popular and most common, um, you know, measure that we take. So sunscreen are various you know, substances we apply to the skin surface um, that can actually either block and reflect light or absorb uh, the energy from the light. So I'll kind of divide those into two. So there's chemical sunscreens. Um, These are the ones that absorb light energy from UV light. And then there's physical sunscreens, those that contain zinc or titanium or iron oxide, which actually reflect the light off. Mm. So they work in two different ways. Um, You know, often the layperson can't doesn't really know the difference between the two, but they work in two different ways. And, you know, there have been a lot of messages in the media about, hey, sunscreens may not be safe or, you know, there are a lot of problems associated with them. But, you know, those studies have not been 
completely, you know, well-founded. And we also see that, you know, patients forget that the UV light that is from the sun is a carcinogen. So it does lead to actual skin cancer. We know that for a fact. Yet some of these studies are, you know, not necessarily substantiated by evidence. And, you know, it's just perpetuated. And obviously with a lot of the, you know, the false news and the false media out there, um, you know, they kind of get blown out of proportion. Definitely. So kind of when it comes to sunscreen, is this something that everyone should be applying? For example, I'm a darker complexion myself. And they always say that if you're a darker complexion, you kind of reduce your risk because you have natural melanin, which protects you from the sun. So should everyone be using sunscreen or is this particularly more effective for people with more fairer complexion? Should everyone be using it? So it's a great question. And the answer is yes. So I have similar skin type to you. I have more uh, melanin in my skin as well. Um, However, um, you know, even darker complexions, um, patients can still get skin cancer. Um, and I see that, um, you know, I have Hispanic patients, I've had black patients, um, Asian patients who've had skin cancer. So even though we're at a lower risk than say the Caucasian population or other lighter skin populations, um, the risk still exists. And it's with cumulative um, UV light exposure that can lead to mutations in the cells that Mm -hmm. lead to skin cancer. So I advise all my patients to wear sunscreen year round um, for sun exposed areas. And especially, you know, when you're, you know, exposed a lot in the summertime to definitely also apply to the body. But I wear sunscreen every day. Um, and not sure. only does it help reduce my risk of skin cancer, but it also reduces the signs of aging uh, from a cosmetic standpoint. Definitely. One of the reservations I think uh, some people might have when it comes to skin cancer and just all of these kinds of preventable measures are when you think of skin cancer, you don't think of them as typically dangerous. When you think of like cardiovascular disease, you think heart attack, someone's going to die. But when you think of uh, skin cancer, it's just like, okay, I'll have some sort of visible defect. I can just go to a dermatologist such as yourself, get it taken care of, and then I'll be good to go again. So kind of how do you weigh that kind of mindset against wearing sunscreen every day, which might take a significant like maybe five to 10 minutes to apply it and maybe just be a nuisance? Yeah. So, I mean, so skin cancer is the most common cancer in humans. Um, And most of the time it can be easily treated and cured. However, there are those instances, um, especially with melanoma, where if you develop it and it spreads throughout the body, you actually have a higher mortality rate. So you need to be very careful um, about, you know, the risks. Um, You know, obviously, yes, a basal cell carcinoma may not necessarily kill you. It can grow, it can be locally invasive, but very unlikely to metastasize. Squamous cell carcinoma has a little bit of higher risk, about 5% risk of metastasis, Mm -hmm. but people die from it. Um, And, you know, I've seen cases, um, you know, patients who, you know, with advanced local cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma that metastasize and, you know, they do, they do pass away from that. And then obviously with melanoma as well. So, you need to realize that, yes, even though most cases can be treated and cured, especially when treated at an early stage, those advanced cases can spread and can kill. Um, and, you know, melanoma is actually one of the uh, most common causes of death among young patients. Um, so, you know, I really try to point that, um, especially to my younger patients, my teenage patients who may be using tanning beds. I mean, this can affect you. I mean, I've had teenagers with melanoma. Um, wow. You know, and it's it's scary and it does affect and shape their lives. So sure. I really do, um, you know, want to make people aware that you can die from these skin cancers and even aggressive skin cancers. I mean, the treatments are not easy, like chemotherapy, um, immune checkpoint inhibitors, um, you know, radiation, surgery, all that stuff. It's, it's not easy to go through. Definitely. One of the other points I wanted to bring up to you is kind of the uh, risk versus benefits of sun exposure with regards to vitamin D. Because kind of getting sun exposure is kind of one of the natural ways that us as humans can get vitamin D through a variety of different uh, chemical processes that go on in our skin and whatnot um, and further organ systems. And reading some of the literature, it seems that most people don't get adequate exposure to the sun to get enough vitamin D. And otherwise, it has to be like supplemented and all these different kinds of things. There's a large proportion of people who are vitamin D deficient, whether it be due to like an acute inflammatory marker, as some discussions say, or due to just frank deficiency. Um, But kind of do you, with wearing sunscreen, does that kind of inhibit your ability to soak up the sun to make vitamin D or how does that kind of relationship work? So here are my thoughts on vitamin D. Um, 
So you can get vitamin D through supplements and through your diet. We know that UV light is a carcinogen and can lead to skin cancer. So in my opinion, if there is a safe way for obtaining vitamin D, that's what I advise my patients to do. Obviously, yes, we do see a lot of vitamin D deficiency in a lot of the populations. It may be related to, you know, decreased sun exposure, but likely it's due to diet as well. Um, so if we can, you know, shift towards um, using supplements and, you know, enhancing our diets, I think that that's a far better way and more effective way to get our vitamin D than going out and baking in the sun and then potentially getting skin cancer. Definitely. And then one last thing, sorry to keep harping on this so much, but this is kind of the largest oh, topic here, which is how much sun exposure is too much. For example, if I'm stepping out to go walk my dog for like 10, 15 minutes, do I need to put on sunscreen or is this only with like extended exposure? So any type of exposure that you're getting to UV light is an exposure. So even when you're by a window, even in your car, which blocks UVB light, UVA light is still kind of penetrating, you're still getting exposed and it is increasing your risk for skin cancer. So there is no such thing as safe sun um, per se. Um, that's why you have to protect yourself. Definitely. Okay. I think we've exhausted our sun questions, um, kind of skin cancer. We'll probably touch on skin cancer a little bit later, but if you guys are listening at home and have any more questions, feel free to reach out to us on our social media platforms and we'll try to get some education your way so that we can uh, continue to cover this. Um, just because there's not that many resources out there that really talk about this too much, I guess, in an evidence-based fashion. So I appreciate the dialogue here. Um, moving on. I know nothing about the skin. In medical school, we're taught like some basic type of rashes, but then even when we get to residency, we'll get a rash for like, looks like a wheel, looks mm -hmm. like a bulla, something like that. But a lot of people get rashes and they're very common, very multifactorial. Sometimes they just pop up, go away. How do we, how does someone know whether or not they need to get a rash checked out or whether it will self-resolve? So that's a great question. That's why we do a three-year residency. Holiday <laughs> <laughs> um, rashes are not so easy, um, and a lot of them can look very, very similar. Um, and some are very common type of rashes, and some are rare. Um, and some signify, you know, issues that are happening internally in the body. So it's kind of a difficult question to answer. Um, about when to seek advice, but you know, I, I tell my patients, if you're not sure, or if your primary care physician isn't sure about a particular rash, I mean, that's our job. So, I mean, as a dermatologist, you know, we are happy to see all these kind of rashes, but here's some rules of thumb that I kind of consider about things that are a little bit more serious and that you should kind of, um, you know, take into consideration. So when you have rashes associated with systemic uh, symptoms, um, you know, I tend to kind of think about what else could be happening. Like, is there fever associated with or joint pain? Is there, you know, um, mucosal um, surface involvement? Um, is there, you know, other symptoms that are happening that can kind of see like if there's any systemic involvement as well? So those type of things, I think, are definitely you know, rashes that should be seen by a dermatologist um, because sometimes we can kind of connect the dots and kind of see correlations that, you know, other specialties might not because, mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of in tune to looking for these signs and symptoms. So, you know, like for instance, like say like, you know, this kid had this rash on his leg. Um, it's got these kind of, you know, these little bumps that are really pink and purpuric. Um, they got GI symptoms going on, you know, things like that. You know, others might say, hey, he might have like some type of infection. But, you know, we might be thinking, oh, you know, it might be HSP, Henlex Chanlite Purpura, you know, mm -hmm. and then we can kind of get the right diagnosis have the right follow-up care and treatment, you know, something like that. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, so that's one type of situation where you're having other systemic symptoms going on. Um, other disorders that I think that you should kind of really uh, seek care is with blistering disorders. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of autoimmune connective tissue diseases, and some are associated with blisters. Um, and some of those can be very serious, like bolus pemphigoid or uh, pemphigus foliaceus, et cetera. And, you know, they may look like regular blisters to you, but this can actually kind of like affect the entire body. It can affect mucosal surfaces. So that's another one that tends to need 
treatment um, and because there's other risks associated with it. So I think that that's another one that you should definitely get checked out. Um, third um, is when you have a growth or a lesion that's not healing properly, um, that has pain associated with its bleeding, you know, those kind of raise concerns for malignancy. So that's something that a dermatologist should look at, potentially biopsy to make sure that, you know, there's nothing else going on and it's not mistaken for something else. And unfortunately, a lot of patients neglect these type of lesions and they kind of wait too long. Um, and especially in the case of skin cancer, like I had a gentleman who had like, you know, this huge nodule on his shoulder and he was ignoring it for the past year and it ended up being like a really deep melanoma. Mm-hmm. So um, these are things that you should seek attention sooner rather than later. So that's kind of how I kind of envision like the ones that are serious, um, especially those that have rapidly changing symptoms, um, you know, things that point to infection. Um, mm-hmm. Those should be sought out. But, you know, most of the other type of rashes tend to be more subacute or chronic um, in the derm space. So those typically, you know, should be seen, but not necessarily urgently. For sure. Um, uh, for as far as it comes for me, when it comes to malignancy and kind of biopsies, what we look for is like the ABCDEs essentially. Um, for those who are listening back home, they might not necessarily know what that is. Do you mind briefly explaining that before we go on? Yeah, sure. So um, when we're looking at pigmented lesions, um, uh, or commonly referred to as moles um, or beauty marks, um, we look at a few different characteristics, um, which we use as acronym ABCDE to kind of remember easily. So A stands for asymmetry. So we're looking for lesions that are not perfectly symmetric. If you put a line right down the middle, it's not the same on both sides. B stands for border. So we're looking for irregular borders. So, you know, usually you know, benign lesions tend to have a very smooth border, um, whereas uh, malignancies can have more uh, jagged edges or geometric patterns and, you know, odd shapes. C stands for color. Um, so when we're looking at a lesion and it's single toned, that tends to be more benign than, you know, a lesion that has multiple colors within it. D stands for diameter. So we're looking at lesions that are greater than six millimeters or larger than a pencil eraser. So larger lesions tend to be more concerning. And then E stands for evolution. So rapid changes in the lesion, changes in size, shape, color, uh, any symptoms associated with it, those are concerning, especially if it happens over a short period of time. And now those are kind of just used as a tool to kind of triage. Is this something that we should get checked out or is it more benign? And it calls to be used by primary care physicians to determine whether or not we should go to a dermatologist or not. And speaking of primary care, every specialist that I have on the show, I like to kind of ask a question um, similar to this, where if you had every single primary care physician in a room, like across the country, what's something you would want them to know about derm to kind of help triage those patients? Well, I think that... With primary care, I mean, a lot of the referrals I get are for evaluation of lesions. Um, and a lot of them, you know, they get very worried with, you know, these irritated growths or, you know, changes or darkly colored um, lesions. And a lot of them are benign lesions, such as seborrheic keratosis. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most common referral I get, um, you know, rule out you know, skin cancer. So I think that if primary care can get comfortable learning what the benign lesions look like, they won't be so, um, you know, inclined or worried to kind of send over these patients because a lot of these Mm -hmm. patients also are very anxious because their primary care is like, oh, this doesn't look right, you know, but, you know, nine out of 10 times they are these benign growths. So I think that if primary care can get a little bit more education or comfort with looking at these lesions um, and kind of reassuring the patients, I think that's, well, that would be great uh, because then that can funnel this patients that actually really need to see us for these type of lesions, um, you know, to be really evaluated. And then the other thing is really recommending full body skin exams every year. Um, I do think that that's a really good thing for patients to do from a preventative uh, medicine standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, we catch a lot of things on skin exams, things that patients were even aware of or, you know, totally off their radar. They're like pointing out to this benign keratosis, but hey, I found this melanoma on his shoulder. So mm-hmm. I think that if we can really promote, 
you know, getting your skin checked regularly and also practicing safe sun and sun protective measures, I think that we will be able to kind of prevent a lot of skin cancer um, in the future. Sure. And then going along, uh, you were kind of mentioning some lifestyle factors previously, and we went to the sunscreen direction. Um, But on this same topic, kind of diet and exercise also have an effect on the skin. Um, I don't think it's easily as easy quantifiable, at least not to my knowledge. I haven't done so much research in the space. You probably have done a lot more. Um, you hear things like sugar is terrible for the skin. Sugar is going to increase your risk for skin cancer and all these just different kind of things. How do diet and exercise affect the skin? I know it's a broad question, so take it how you question. want it. Um, I mean, there's definitely a relationship between um, the digestive system, um, our diets and the skin, no doubt. And I talk about it all the time in my clinic. Um, probably the most common thing Thing that you know patients talk to me about is you know sugar and skin and we see that you know refined sugars tend to have a higher glycemic index and they tend to have um, an impact on inflammation in the body as well as in the skin so we see that often with acne um, we see that with rosacea um, we see that with a v- variety of other inflammatory conditions some people's eczema flares as well so you know with high refined sugars I do see that correlation quite a bit um, and I often counsel my patients about it like you know if you can kind of limit the amount of refined sugars um, in your diet um, that can often help you know, acting. it's not going to cure you, but it will definitely mm-hmm. help. Um, so we definitely see that relationship often. Um, other things that I typically see, um, you know, a common one is chocolate, you know, and acne people, you know, talk about that a lot. And I don't think it's necessarily the chocolate, it's the sugar and the dairy associated mm. with it um, that often um, lead to breakouts of inflammatory skin disorders. Um, you know, highly processed foods, um, things that contain a lot of, you know, fried foods, um, you know, those things are obviously pro-inflammatory throughout the body, can lead to flares of various inflammatory skin conditions. Um, You know, those are all things that have been shown in studies to really correlate with um, inflammation throughout the body as well as the skin. Now, there are things that actually help as well. Um, I'm a big proponent of probiotics. Um, They have been shown to help reduce um, inflammation um, and can help some, you know, some skin conditions like eczema, um, acne. Um, psoriasis as well. Um, I've seen some really good data with that. You know, gluten-free diets have been shown to help um, in a variety of uh, skin disorders as well. So, I mean, you got to kind of see what your body responds to. Dairy is kind of one of those things that also um, some patients flare with it. Um, You know, I think it's related to the sugars and the hormones that may be, um, you know, within the, the dairy product. So, and then in dermatology, I typically tell my patients, if you're going to have dairy, um, the full fat ones are actually better than the skim mm. ones. They, the skim ones tend to be a lot more pro-inflammatory throughout the body and tend mm. to flare up things. So, you know, we see that um, pretty frequently. Interesting. So I, I kind of want to ask here, is there a kind of like set literature on this? Like, are there like guidelines where if a patient comes in, you know, it's X or Y, like it probably is this, there's a very known cause between like dairy and inflammation and like acne, or is it kind of just like on a per patient basis? A per patient basis. Not everyone flares to the same things. Um, some patients have no, you know, no influence from their diet whatsoever onto their skin condition. Just, you know, there's often a hormonal component too, which sometimes ties with the diet, but you know, there's so many different factors that we have to look at yeah. and it's a per patient basis. Yeah. I figure this is something that's super difficult to study just because you're not ever going to get a controlled environment. Um, and also observation when it comes to the skin, there's also so many different presentations. So it's never something you're going to fully like study. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate there. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as exercise goes, have you noticed any association between exercise and skin? Is that shown in the literature anywhere? Um, yeah. So, I mean, exercise does play a role. It can have positive and negative effects. Um, so with exercise, um, so the positive. So I definitely see that with exercise and with maintaining, you know, 
a normal BMI, you know, we kind of prevent things such as, you know, diabetes um, and obesity. And there are definitely skin disorders that are associated with those skin conditions. You know, we see things like acanthosis nigricans, um, where you get this like velvety thickening of the skin, often associated with insulin uh, resistance. Um, we also see hydradenitis suppurativa, condition mm-hmm. where you get these boils and nodules and various locations of the body that are tied with obesity. So obviously, exercise um, has been shown to help in these patients, uh, reducing um, you know their body weight um, and you know maintaining a good lifestyle and diet um, can help these conditions. However, um, you know, exercise can be associated also with certain skin disorders. Um, so acne is one of them. You know, a lot of my patients, um, you know, especially my teenage patients, you know, they exercise <laughs> and they don't wash up after. And, you know, they can get folliculitis and acne um, because of the sebum, the oil uh, content from our skin. Um, and it's a breeding ground for bacteria and leads to inflammatory acne. Um, exercise can also lead to increase in blood flow and that can flare rosacea patients. So exercise exercise-induced mm. rosacea. So you get some flushing, redness, because your body's heating up um, and there's more blood flow to the skin. So those are some examples um, that we see with um, the role between exercise and the skin. We want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is not intended for medical advice and is for educational and informational purposes only. We also want to remind you of our Instagram page at PreventPod, where we share various content relating to each episode that you can share with your friends if you enjoy our episode. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list so you know right away when an episode goes up at www.thepreventivemedicinepodcast.com. And with that, let's get back into this episode. So what it seems to sound like is essentially if you are generally living a healthy, quote unquote, lifestyle, then you should be um, reducing your risk for just various like skin issues when it comes. Um, so moving on from that, I want to talk about skincare. Skincare is huge. It's a booming industry. Everyone's talking about skincare. Everyone's um, wife, fiance, girlfriend, like females all talk about it. Dudes, we don't talk about it as much. Um, so when it comes to skincare, people either seem to be all in where they have like tens of like dozens of products or they have nothing. I'm personally in the camp where I have nothing. I haven't really done much, but um, is skincare necessary? So skincare, is it necessary? Um, interesting question. It's not necessary, but I think it can definitely enhance the health of your skin. Um, so yes, it's definitely a very popular topic, especially in social media. Um, everyone's mm-hmm. talking about it. Um, everyone wants to know what products to use um, to kind of get the the best results. Um And I kind of break it down to my patients um, as well as my followers, um, you know, evidence-based, you know, products, um, ingredients that will actually work because there's a lot of garbage out there, Um, a lot of marketing that's out to get your money um, and not necessarily get you the results that you're looking for. So I do think that if you're smart about it um, and you're very selective about what ingredients, what products you're using, you can definitely get a great return on your investment because obviously, you know, everyone wants to look good. Um, everyone wants to age gracefully. Um, you know, patients typically don't want to, you know, do invasive procedures to improve their cosmesis if they, if there's a way to kind of prevent that. And Mm -hmm. that's with skincare. I mean, it's a great investment. You can start off when, you know, you're younger, um, and continue throughout your lifetime and get a great return on your investment if you kind of stick with it. So when people think of skincare, they kind of think of um, kind of just looking good, but they don't really associate that with preventive medicine. But one thing I want to point out here is that preventive medicine isn't necessarily just about like preventing diseases and those things. Mm-hmm. It's also about living a fulfilling life and uh, getting rid of the things that prevent you from doing that. And for some people, that could be their skin. Yeah. If they like the way they look, they're able to aim more meaningfully engage in things like exercise, engage with their like communities and all those kinds of things. So skincare could definitely be a huge aspect of that, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it because it's something that on the surface level might not seem necessarily like preventive medicine or like quote unquote evidence-based more so for like the, um, I don't know, just the looks, but there definitely is an aspect to this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, you know, I do think that there is value to how it makes you feel, um, you know, having your skin look healthy, um, look 
free of disease, um, look cosmetically appealing. I mean, it does raise confidence. Um, you know, there have been multiple studies that have shown that, you know, having healthy appearing skin um, does boost confidence, performance, um, you know, interrelationships, um, job performance, all these things are tied with it. Um, and, you know, if you can enhance that aspect of your life by using, you know, skincare, I mean, I think that's a great option. I mean, that's something that we can control. I mean, we have our genetics, we can't really change that. But mm-hmm. we can, um, you know, influence our skin and its health by, you know, using the right products. Definitely. So when it comes back to kind of is the the question of is skincare necessary? Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that skincare is something that um, everyone should be purchasing regardless of kind of their situation? Or for some people, I guess the question what I'm here asking, sorry, this is a little convoluted. No, it's okay. um, the question I'm asking is, is there like, would you blanket recommend it to everyone? I personally think that there is skincare available for everyone. Um, not everyone has to use high-end products, um, you know, from the department store or, you know, really expensive um, creams. Um, you know, there are affordable options for everyone. And, you know, given that there are options for everyone, um, I don't think that it's a bad idea to kind of invest in skincare. Um, you know, even if it just is sunscreen that is part of skincare Mm. and that is also preventing disease so that's two for one so i really think that at the minimum anyone and everyone should be you know at least investing in sunscreen and that is a really good option because not only prevent disease it's also going to be one of the most effective products you can use for reducing the signs of aging. Um, it is probably the number one thing. Out of any product that I can recommend, it is sunscreen. Um, sure. And finding one that you like and use consistently that also moisturizes your skin, hey, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So I think everyone has access to that and anyone can get that. Sure. Now, building more extensive regimens, it's not going to be for everyone. I mean, I can sometimes barely get some of my patients to use one cream. Um, so, you know, these multi-step things, it's just too complicated. It's not part of their lifestyle. And I don't really push it because it's just not part of who they are. But for the motivated patient who wants to look good, who does not mind, you know, taking a few minutes out of their entire day to kind of invest in their skin. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll be there to counsel them, um, give them recommendations and get them on a good regimen that will likely work for them. But it's not for everyone. And, you know, like I said, like even my own family members, like I can't get my brothers to use skincare and I have access to everything <laughs> out there. You know, like I literally hand deliver to them that I did use it. And it's been years. So like, it's, it's, it's just, it's just personal preference at that point. So you just can't convince everyone to do it. For sure. I think I'd be in that same camp if it was hand delivered <laughs> to me, even if someone was like about to lather in my face, I probably yeah. still wouldn't do it regularly. But, um, Another question that I have for you is when it comes, when you think of like exercise and nutrition, a lot of people get tripped up into the fallacy of like thinking about like the super specifics. Like for example, um, how much, how much rest should I be doing or how often should I be exercising this particular body part where they're not even covering the basics of it. So would you say that skincare is kind of a more advanced thing that should be covering the basics, such as working, making sure they're hydrated, getting good nutrition, using sunscreen, exercising, or is skincare kind of just like you should be using that regardless? No, I mean, I think that there is definitely a foundation just like with the, uh, you know, the exercise example that you gave us. Um, you know, obviously good nutrition manifests in the skin, um, hydration manifests in the skin, and then obviously protecting the skin from the sun, uh, with sunscreen. Um, those are the foundations like that you need no matter what. Um, and I think everything else on top of that, um, it really just depends on what your goals are. Um, if you want healthy, you know, youthful skin, you're going to, you know, create a more extensive regimen. If you're just there just for status quo, you just want to just, you know, just stay hydrated, um, you know, and use good nutrition. I mean, that's fine. And just protect your skin. It really just depends on what your goals are. And everyone's so unique in that. Definitely. Um, so we're going to advance a little bit into more of the product side of this, just because when you look through social media, as you were saying, every like skincare is a huge topic. Everyone seems to be a skincare influencer these days. And there's just so many different yeah. products that like, it seems like my fiance has like a whole set of products. And then she talks to her friends with a whole nother set of products. Yeah. There's just so many things out there. It's really difficult con- to conduct like RCTs and meta-analyses of all this. I tried doing a little bit of research before this episode just to see what was out there. I couldn't find anything meaningful. Much. Yeah. So when you're selecting skincare products, what do you do? 
So first I kind of go back to the science because I think that's the most important thing. I mean, what ingredients actually work and what are they doing for our skin? So I kind of talk about the three main pillars of a good skincare regimen. Um, like these are the three all-star ingredients. So one we already talked about, sunscreen. That's an all-star player. That's always going to be in everyone's uh, skincare regimen. The other two have a lot of data behind them. Um, one, you probably heard of, retinol. Um, mm-hmm. It's a vitamin A derivative. Um, it is liquid gold because... It has so many benefits for the skin. Um, it induces collagen synthesis and elastin synthesis. It helps with uh, you know the formation of wrinkles. You want to it helps prevent those. It helps with evening out the skin tone and sun damage. Um, it helps with you know firming your skin. Um, it just has a lot of benefit. It also decreases oil production. So. There's a ton of data associated with vitamin A derived products, the retinol, the retinoids. Um, and, you know, it's something that is tolerated by most patients pretty well. Um, and, you know, it probably gives you the best bang for your buck in, from an anti-aging standpoint. Um, you know, I've had patients who've been using it for, you know, for many, many years, and they tend to age really, really slowly. I've been using one since I was a teenager. Hmm. Um, and it's it's you know helped me. I mean, obviously, I first used it for acne. Um, we that is what these products were used for first, but it also has a lot of anti aging benefits, which I continue to use. Um, so retinol is definitely a phenomenal product, and there's different forms of it, um, different strengths. So if you can incorporate a retinol in your nighttime routine, it definitely can make a huge impact on your skin health. So. And then what was the third one? You mentioned three pillars. We have sunscreen, retinol. Vitamin C serum. Mm. So vitamin C is an antioxidant. um, And it is also an incredible ingredient because vitamin C is actually a cofactor for producing collagen. Um, So it helps with building the, you know, the foundation for our skin. Um, It helps with... It's an antioxidant, so it helps with a lot of the, you know, damage and cellular repair from pollution, but also from like our internal processes. Um, It also helps with brightening the skin. So vitamin C is a very potent um, brightener. So for, you know, patients who have dispigmentation, melasma, um, it also helps improve the, the tone of your skin. So that is also really, really good for your skin. And there's really you know, no reason why you shouldn't be using a vitamin C serum either. And that's usually during the daytime. Sure. Another question when it comes to skincare is when we think of kind of like medicines and preventive medicine, you use them when there's an indication to do so. For example, if someone is um, diabetic, you would use maybe metformin or all these different things. Do you use skincare kind of proactively? Like, is this something people should be using every day or kind of when you start noticing like blemishes in your skin? That's a good question. So, um, in the dermatology space of we're advocating for use of these products earlier and earlier now. So, you know, we start seeing the signs of aging in our 20s, um, noticeable changes, um, especially in our 30s going to our 40s. So the earlier start, um, the more profound the results will be. Um, so, you know, a lot of my millennial patients, I get them on these skincare regimens because, you know, they will age a lot slower and will hopefully have to prevent having to do more invasive procedures in the future um, just by kind of using the right products. So, um, you know, I say like anywhere in your 20s, um, you know, early to mid 20s is a good time to start um, using retinols, vitamin C serums. I mean, sunscreen you should be using earlier than that. But um, I think that there's no harm in it. Um, There's only benefit. Sure. And now if someone's listening to this and let's say they're like 50 or 60 and they're like, oh man, I missed my 20s. Mm-hmm. Is it still beneficial for them to start and can it help reverse some of those things or is it kind of the damage is done? It's too late. No, so it's never too late. Um, so you can definitely get improvement um, of those skin conditions. You can get some reversal of some of the damage as well. Um, so I definitely think that you can benefit no matter what age you are. Definitely. And uh, the next part of this, I want to ask you, it might be a little bit more philosophical in nature. I know we're not philosophers here, Mm -hmm. but uh, we were kind of discussing how um, skincare and kind of having um, 
good looking skin can be beneficial when it comes to various aspects of life. So do you think that the cosmetic aspect of dermatology, which oftentimes gets a really bad rep just for being um, more materialistic, that kind of stuff can have a significant effect in helping people live a better life? Absolutely. I mean, so I, I represent two different spectrums of dermatology. So I'm a skin cancer reconstructive surgeon, but I'm also a cosmetic dermatologist. Mm-hmm. And both, in my opinion, um, you know, help enhance the quality of your life just in different ways. So the cosmetic side, um, you can tremendously improve the self-esteem and confidence of an individual, which is, in my opinion, priceless. Like you can, you know, you can have, I have like patients who've had suffered from depression based on like the way that they looked and they just, you know, kind of can come out of that too, um, you know, with, um, you know, feeling more confident about themselves and feeling that they have more prospects either romantically or like in the job space, you know, there's, there's just so many things that we can do to kind of help enhance patients image of themselves, which, you know, a lot of people take for granted sometimes, um, but it can have a profound impact. And that's one of the reasons why I love um, dermatology because you can have such noticeable and meaningful impacts on a patient's life that they can see. So mm-hmm. sometimes like, you know, with my patient, with my friends who are in primary care, like, oh yeah, I have patients who have, you know, high blood pressure, et cetera. They don't really necessarily see the changes, Yeah. but in dermatology, everything's very visual. So we can see the changes and it can motivate patients. Um, so, you know, on the cosmetic side, like, yeah, we can definitely enhance people's lives, but there's also responsibility associated with it too, because some people can kind of take it too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there you could be feeding to body dysmorphic disorder and, you know, patients who are, you know, kind of almost getting addicted to some of these cosmetic procedures um, and kind of distorting their faces um, and the procedures that they get done. So it's a balance, but I, I think that with good judgment, um, you can definitely provide a lot of good services to patients. I like that you bring up that balance because it applies to kind of not just dermatology, but other fields. So for example, in like the health and fitness space, you can have the people that either don't use any medical services at all, mm-hmm. and they just don't worry about health and fitness to the people who are on the other extreme where they kind of go overboard and they become a guinea pig for all these random things. They start doing enemas with who knows what just to get some health benefits, taking yeah. some random supplements that we have no clue whether or not they're effective or safe. Yeah. Um, and then you have the people in the middle that are kind of effectively using it to enhance their lives. And kind of as a uh, personal story for this, so I have very much psoriasis that I had uh, kind of pop up mostly when I was in high school. And it was primarily on my hands. So it was very visual. It's like all over my knuckles and all over my palms, stuff like that. So in high school, I was definitely very self-conscious of having that because it was just like a significant skin blemish. Um, and after going to a dermatologist, obviously getting like the creams, appropriate treatment for it, it definitely went away. Mm-hmm. Um, not like clearly, I still have a little bit and I still have some of those like depigmentation areas, but I can definitely speak to that confidence gain, especially at a period in high school mm-hmm. where everyone's hyper-focused and hyper-aware of everything yeah. going on with their body. <laughs> yeah. So I can definitely speak to that aspect. Yeah. And I mean, personally, from, from my standpoint, like I had pretty bad acne when I was a teenager, like, and I was definitely really self-conscious about it. Um, so you know, I went to dermatologist, dermatologist, and, you know, a lot of them didn't really spend much time with me. And, you know, they're just like pushing pills and things like that. So it kind of actually was one of the reasons why I also wanted mm. to be a dermatologist. Because I was like, thinking back to my experience, I'm like, I wish I could have helped someone like me. Um, when I was a teenager, I gave them time and like really went over like a whole evidence based um, regimen, you know, with over the counter and prescriptions and that could really impact, um, you know, a teenager's life. And, you know, like when I teach my, uh, when I treating my teens these days, um, you know, I really make sure that, you know, I spend time with them and make sure that we kind of come up with a good effective regimen. And then, you know, sometimes they're left with scars and, you know, like I, I totally, you know, I've had acne scars myself and I've had them treated with a dermatologist as well. Um, so I kind of want to help them kind of go through, and get over this and, you know, develop that confidence again, especially when you're a teenager, when you're such so vulnerable. And so, you know, we're all in that awkward stage, you know, we just all want to like be accepted and, you know, we don't want to like worry about like blemishes and things like that. So, um, it's been, it's been a personal thing for me as well to kind of really go out there and help as many people as I can. I think that's really important. That's really great that you take the time to do that because also at that period, it's a very like formative period where you can also go into the other side that we were talking about and suddenly become hyper aware and want to get everything fixed and then suddenly become a super utilizer of various cosmetic products, procedures, and all those different kinds of things, especially when the image of perfection is thrown at you every second on social media. Absolutely. 
Um, so I think we answered a lot of questions um, when it comes to dermatology. Is there anything you can think of that relates to prevention or dermatology that we did not cover? I mean, typically I come up with these questions, but when I don't have like a comprehensive understanding of the field, I can't ask like the right questions, yeah, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I think you asked the right questions. I mean, I think the biggest one that we talked about is the whole skin cancer issue and using you know, protective measures. So whether it being sunscreen, UV protective clothing, seeking shade, you know, limiting activities like, you know, during, you know, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. when the sun rays are highest. I mean, I think that that's probably the key message that we want to hit home because, you know, we're seeing, you know, just such a rise in skin cancer throughout the country. Um, and in all age groups, and we're seeing younger and younger patients. So it's kind of disheartening to see that. And if we can get that message out as, as widely as possible, I think that'll be the, the most helpful thing. Definitely. And it, it sounds like you already answered this next question that I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just to further emphasize and because we have to get our classic question, which is if you're at a Starbucks, Pete's, wherever you get your coffee and you're waiting in line to get it and someone recognizes you from Instagram, Hey, Dr. Hussein, um, how do I keep my skin healthy? What do you tell them in two minutes? So definitely the sunscreen. Um, so that's really important from, a you know, skin cancer prevention standpoint, also from a cosmetic photo aging standpoint. Um, but also a lot of my followers on Instagram and on social media are always asking about skincare and what products to use and, you know, what's right for them. And it's kind of a hard question to answer because everyone's skin is different. Um, everyone's needs are different. So that's why I think that, you know, if you want to have the most effective skincare strategy, make a consult with your board certified dermatologist and they'll sit down with you and actually go through it by actually looking at your skin, determining what would be the best options for the goals that you have. So instead of wasting all that time and money going on TikTok and Instagram, <laughs> information from that and, you know, trying all these products, which add up, I mean, they're not cheap. Um, seek advice from those who have the training education experience to kind of guide you in the right direction. That's why we're here. Um, not these skin influencers that, you know, may not even have a background. <laughs> And also share this podcast because there's a lot of great information in here. Um, thanks for coming on. I learned a lot. I hope you guys who are listening uh, learned a lot. Dr. Hussein, I hope you had fun on this yeah. episode. Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. All of his social media stuff will be down below in the uh, show notes everywhere. And we'll be posting uh, various content on social media. So make sure to check that out. But with that, thank you so much for coming on. And we're out. All right, thanks. Hey, everyone. This is Raghav. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you want more content and to join in on the conversation, find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.